1: Hello, and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, bringing you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Faith was once revered. Now, in an increasingly secular age, it is seen by many as an irrational dedication to an unproven belief. Yet science, Marxism, and liberalism all rely on core beliefs that are unprovable. And to live without belief in anything at all could be considered empty and meaningless. Should we accept that an element of faith is required, regardless of our perspective? Or would this undermine the very idea of knowledge and progress? To discuss the necessity and danger of belief, today we will be joined by groundbreaking physicist Carlo Rovelli, former director of human rights and geo-liberty, Shami Chakrabati, consciousness expert Philip Goff, and world-leading expert in relativity and cosmology, George Ellis. If you enjoy today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit iI.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos and articles from the world's leading thinkers. I'll hand you over to our host for this debate, Isabel Hilton.
2: So I'm going to begin by inviting each of our panellists to respond to this opening question, which is, do science and politics require faith? And I'm going to
3: start by asking George. Yes, indeed. They both require faith. You require faith that the people you elect will behave in the way that they have said they will behave. If if they don't, then you've been had, you've been conned. So the po- politics has a deep structure of faith built into it. Uh, as the, the faith that you, you've had election promises, you've, you've been told that this is what's happened. You've been told that um, certain things are going to take place. And this is the faith which underlies politics and which, as we all know, has been dangerously undermined in recent times, both in in Britain and other countries, in my country, and in the United States of America. I, I believe we need faith in order to navigate everyday life. Rationality alone does not suffice. We're making choices all the time, considering possibilities, collecting evidence, outcomes and then we have to make a choice. But in real world contexts, taking a new job, getting married, moving to a new place, there is never enough evidence. We have to make a choice that involves a leap of faith, a belief that things will work out all right, even though we cannot prove this will be the case. And in that sense, belief is a necessity. An example was when I went as a young physicist to Texas as a young postdoc. Now, I had in my pocket a letter saying I had an appointment in the physics department. I had a belief I would get paid once I got there. Now, this could have all been a big hoax, but it worked out all right for me. And um, I had a great year there. And I contrast this with a young woman coming to, say, the United Kingdom from Eastern Europe and finding, with a similar letter, finding they've been recruited by a sex trafficking ring. And there, their belief was tragically wrong. So you have to, uh, the danger is that our beliefs may be wrong. We must always be ready to question and reconsider them in the light of new evidence, but you can't live your daily life without belief. What about science? Well, science believes in the laws of physics as holding us all times and all places. There is really good evidence that this is true. We get evidence that this is true by looking at the very early universe and analysing that stuff. That's the underlying um, belief of science, and it's a really good belief. It's a metaphysical belief, but there's good reasons to believe that it will continue to be true.
2: Shami, could I invite you to address the same question? Uh, it, it's it's do science and politics require faith? Yes, they do.
0: Coming at it from my perspective, from a human rights perspective, the way the reason why science and politics and possibly every other human endeavor requires an element of faith or belief is because it is in inherent in human nature. Because I believe that we are creatures of both faith and logic, emotion and reason. And 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 George pointed out very eloquently early in his in his remarks about how even people who are incredibly logical and scientific will make all sorts of choices not just in a single day, but in a lifetime. I mean, very important choices, who they fall in love with, who they instinctively like and don't like and trust and so on. That isn't always a calculation. But similarly, there will be people of faith who will make calculations they, um, because they are sensible people deciding who to employ and who to bank with and and so on and so forth. So, it's, so the, the divide is often a false one. Um, and just, uh, just as, you know, faith in terms of some of the great world religions um, did lead us. To some some terrible atrocities, unnecessary wars and, and crusades and torture and so on. Equally, people of science and engineering built um, gas chambers and nuclear weapons. So so it is a it is a mixed bag and and, and the the dichotomy is is a false one. I, I completely agree with George that we have to hold these two things. In our, in our hands very tightly, um, our faith and our reason, our emotion and our logic, but constantly question uh, where these two drivers are taking us to, particularly when we do this collectively and when the consequences are very significant, not just for ourselves, but for humanity as in the current pandemic and George talks about politics. Well, of course, people vote for politicians on the basis of what they promise in their manifestos, but so much happens that is not in a political manifesto, whether it is war or uh, or, or some other um, unpredicted atrocity or whether indeed it's the pandemic. And people are often choosing their leaders on the basis of um, how, they, how they connect with them emotionally, whether they trust their character. It's not always a very cold calculation and actually often cannot, cannot be. And morality or politics or, or or those sorts of things do inherently involve an element,
2: an element of faith or belief, but, but hopefully not a blind one. Johnny, thank you. Carlo, where do you stand on the question of whether science and politics require faith?
4: I'm, I'm pretty close to what um, uh, George and Sami had said, but let, let me try to articulate um, a bit more precisely what I think. I think that the the, the opening statements that uh, we heard, uh, the, the formulation of the problem that we heard first, uh, uh, and even these questions are a bit misleading and uh, uh, represent a wrong way of viewing humankind. Like if there was something which is blind faith, unproven, uh, based on whatever... And something else, which is was uh, derivable, provable, rational beliefs. Uh, I, I don't think that this distinction makes sense at all. We have ways of thinking about the world uh, and we have strong beliefs, passions. I may mean, believe in justice. I believe something is wrong. I have political ideas. I strongly defend them. And we all are doing the same in different degrees and different manners. Uh, I think what is good is when uh, these beliefs strongly he- held uh, are open to discussion and what we, the mistake we make in, when we're trapped into these beliefs. We heard, uh, I, I just listened to that in what you said, that uh, uh, science, Marxism and liberalism uh, are based on unproven beliefs. I would dispute that very strongly. I think the best of science is exactly the opposite and the best of Marxism is exactly the opposite and the best of liberalism, just Mills, is exactly the opposite. I mean, I, I, I uh, Mills, uh, I can almost quote my heart. Uh, uh, what I believe strongly is what I've put up to discussion and you haven't yet convinced me that it's wrong. Um, the good political ideas that we have for which we fight are ideas that many of them were not there in the past. And some people have disputed current thinking and uh, um, have come out with uh, convincing, morally convincing, politically convincing uh, vision ideas. So um, it's a dialogue. It's a it, it's a it's an intersection of ideas uh, on which we influence one another, and uh, what we believe doesn't depend on uh, nothing proven forever. Of course, we use reason. We use reason to avoid mistakes. But we're based on our emotion. We're based on our worldview. We're based on the general um, ideas that are exchanged in the variety of the cultures. And that's what we are with our beliefs. And I think the best of us, the best of humankind, are those who are most open to question the belief they are in talking with others, in front of scientific evidence, in front of political push, uh, for compromise even sometimes. So, um, yes, of course, we have beliefs. Yes, of course, we have faith. That's what we are as human beings. But they don't rely on certainty. They rely on our openness of uh, put them in doubt, in my opinion.
2: Thank you. And Philip, finally.
5: Yeah, so I I would say that all that anyone has direct access to is one's own conscious experience. And in fact, any move beyond that involves some kind of leap of faith. So right now, my conscious experience suggests to me there's a physical world around me, a table, a laptop, a window, but I've got no way of getting outside of my conscious experience to test that. All I can do is choose to trust what my experience seems to be telling me, and then work on that basis. Now, you might say, well, hold on, we don't just use our unaided senses. we do science, and we uh, have rigorous experiments, and we test our hypotheses. But I don't think you can get around the problem that easily, because all that any scientist has direct access to is their own conscious experience. And in recording the data from an experiment, they're thereby choosing to trust what their experience suggests about reality. So I I don't really think this is something we need to worry about. You know, I think it's perfectly rational to trust our experiences, but I think it's very important because I think it opens us up to trusting certain other kinds of experience. So to take an example, like many people throughout the world, you know, looking at the footage of the killing of George Floyd, I had a very deep sense that this was not the way the world ought to be. Uh, Now, I'm a moral realist, which is someone who thinks these kinds of experiences reveal to us objective truths about reality, truths as objective as the facts of physics. Um, These are truths about the fundamental moral structure of the universe. And, you know, that can sound a bit extravagant. Some of my philosopher friends say, hold on, that's, you know, these moral reactions are very important to us, and uh, but ultimately they're sort of our subjective feelings. You can't prove that they're telling us something about the moral objective structure of the universe. But you see, I think that that kind of objection involves a kind of double standard. What they're essentially saying is, it's okay to trust your sensory experiences. But it's not okay to tell you about reality. But it's not okay to trust your moral experiences to tell you about reality. And I've never seen that double standard justified. So, in conclusion, I think all knowledge, whether scientific or ethical, is ultimately rooted in faith in the decision to trust certain kinds of experiences. For better or worse, that's just the human situation.
2: So, yes, I think we have a kind of broad agreement, I think, on the requirement. For, for faith of some kind, both in science and politics. So let's get further into the issue. Philip was talking um, talking about all knowledge being rooted in faith, but we live in an age in which you know faith is uh, or there is very little evidence of kind of common belief. So. Do you think that all reasoning, uh, even scientific reasoning and or moral reasoning, as you, as you would argue, necessarily relies on unprovable assumptions?
5: So I think there are certain things, certain limited things we know with something close to certainty, one's own conscious experience. If I'm in pain, it's just totally evident that that feeling of pain is real, or maybe certain elementary truths of mathematics or logic. But I think any step beyond that, yes, involves adopting certain unprovable assumptions. Now, you may say, well, look, the assumptions science rests on have been proven. They've been proven they work. But I mean, I agree with that. But it's, it sort of involves a circular argument if we're asking, is it OK to trust our senses? Because you can only know that science works if you already trust your experience and your memory. You, I don't think there's any way of breaking out of that circle. All anyone has access to is the Cartesian solipsism of my experience right now. And to get beyond that, you need to have an act of trust. And also, I mean, science is also dependent on Certain unprovable assumptions such as that the future will resemble the past. Any inductive inference is dependent on that. The great Scottish philosopher Hume pointed to the the, the impossibility of giving any non-circular justification of induction. Also, that simpler theories are more likely to be true than complex theories. For any empirical data, there are always an infinite number of theories compatible with that data. Scientists choose between them on the basis of simplicity, elegance, parsimony but why on earth should a simpler theory be more likely to be true? Is this something we can test for? So yes, yeah, so I think, of course, once, once you have those starting points, what you do with it can be rational or irrational, but those basic starting points of knowledge cannot themselves be rationally or empirically demonstrated.
2: Carlo, what, what do you think to that discussion? Descartes is alive and well, we can't we can't verify much beyond what we immediately experience. And we simply have to have faith in our incomplete knowledge.
4: Um, once again, I, I think it's ill-formulated, it's badly ill-formulated. Uh, I think, uh, let me put it this way, certainty, it's uh, badly over-appreciated. Uh, we don't need certainty. I think that uh, a lot of mistakes that humankind does, uh, including in philosophy, uh, the reason all philosophers' uh, wonderful ideas haven't uh, ended up convincing everybody that they were right. It's because, uh, to a large extent, there was a a, a search for certainty. Why do we need certainty? What do we do good with certainty? I am a human being. I'm perfectly happy with the reliability. If I ask, uh, how do I get to to downtown, to Piccadilly Circus? Uh, I don't want an answer which is certain, 100%. I want a reliable answer. I mean, how do I know that the guy isn't cheating me? Uh, science is not about the certain final picture of the world. Science is the best we can say about the world to navigate mm-hmm. it. Uh, politics is not about, I'm absolutely sure that, sure that my politics uh, is true. I'm, I'm the one. It's just what I am. I defend my political ideas because that's... And, and maybe I can change my mind. So if we give up from certainty, this um, anguish about, oh, there are improbable assumptions in our knowledge. Of course there are. Mm-hmm. That's why we're trying to develop it. That's why we do science. That's why we discuss in politics. That's why we have a discussion about moral arguments, right? Because it's, the point is not about provable. The point about, is about convincing. Convincing one another that one thing is better than the other. Let me disagree with Philip. And let me test him on that uh, strongly because I don't uh, share his uh, uh, philosophy in one specific point. In my worldview, in my understanding, it's not true at all that uh, we are locked in a Cartesian solipsism and there is something and only something which is evident to us, uh, which is our own consciousness, our own uh, subjective perspective or anything like that. In fact, my worldview is the opposite, is that uh, this uh, uh, Cartesian solipsism, it's a late uh, construction of a certain culture and uh, a much more uh, immediate worldview. It's the opposite. Uh, there are things, there are brothers, there are things, in fact, there are the other human beings. And oh, by the way, one of the human beings happened to be me, so it's a later construction. So even that I would disagree with with him, not because I think he's wrong uh, necessarily, that's one possible way of starting your world thinking, but there are others. I mean, if you're a Buddhist and you don't believe in the existence of self, just consider that nonsense. If but surely,
0: the, surely. Sorry to cut in, but surely this is where I have to say what's so refreshing about this whole discussion is that it comes with such humility and curiosity, as well as such advocacy and expertise. And sometimes it is that humility and that curiosity, or doubt, or whatever you want to, call, that we are that we are missing. And when I listen to to Philip talk about the, the, the contradiction of, of some of his philosopher colleagues, you know, that, that, that um, something that I touch is real, but something that I feel is not. And, and he talked about how he felt when he witnessed George Floyd's murder which, of course, is something that because of this amazing technology, we can we can now watch in our millions all over the world in, in intimate ways that wouldn't be the case some years ago. Of course, he was feeling that and he was experiencing that, but so were millions and millions of other people who who describe similar feelings to the one that, to the, to the feeling that Philip had. Now, of course, that's predicated on the idea that all of those people are real and not just figments of Philip's imagination brought to him via Zoom. Of course, of course, of course, of course, I must trust. That I'm really looking at Carlo right now, and not the true, and not the Truman Show, or or something that was, you know, that's been beamed to me from outer space. But the, but we get political, I think, when we, um, and we can't run away from the pol. We cannot use either science or religion to run away from the politics of how we navigate. I think was a word that that Carlo used and possibly Philip as well. How we navigate this world together using such limited language and unlimited curiosity, how we deal with that doubt. And one of the things I'm worried about uh, in politics and as a human rights advocate is that sometimes the people without doubt the people with absolute certainty, whether in their science or whether in their, in their faith or their politics, they are so powerful and shrill and intimidating to millions and millions of people with an element of, of doubt that they, that they win in some very um, illiberal, intemperate ways. And it's a very good way to grab power in this world. To claim absolute certainty is is a great way to be a great dictator
2: in this world. Still, still now in the twenty first century, look at Donald but Trump. I have another. I have another question related to the reaction to watching the George Floyd video, because you, you tend to assume that that the vast majority of people or everyone had the same reaction, but it, but people approach things, even extreme mm-hmm. things like that from a very different perspective, and you, these assumptions are not. Uh, unquestionable. Well, of course, you are right. And what happened
0: was that millions of people went one way and millions of people went the other way. And it turned out to be an incredibly polar and remains an incredibly polarizing event. But the one, tr- the one um, thing we sort of know is that it didn't, there's not that many people who perhaps felt nothing i think i think if, if somebody felt absolute and, and there must be some who felt absolutely nothing um, undoubtedly but i think that some kind of reaction whatever people say what even Whatever people tell the focus group or, or say on Twitter, I suspect that some kind of reaction, if you measured people's impulses in some scientific way, some kind of reaction to that probably registered to most sentient human beings. And as you say, Isabel, uh, the polarizing thing is that for some people, that is a very, very painful in, injustice. Uh, and to other people, it is somehow justified. That's the challenge of, of of this very very polarized moment that we're exactly.
2: living, particularly polarized moment in the world today. So, so the, and this brings me to I, I think the second question that we want to examine. Um but we are in a highly polarized moment, certainly in our politics, and neither side seems ready to trust anything that the other one says. And even the whole idea of trust in politics has has come under you know, quite severe pressure and, and, and scrutiny. So. In this kind of post-truth age, do we feel that this is impacting both the foundations of both science and politics in ways that mean that science and politics are struggling dangerously to come to terms with the challenge of, of groundlessness in, in this post-truth age? Shami, you you set out this vision, which I entirely agree with, of a highly polarised uh, situation, which is well I, undermining trust in politics. I wonder about I science wonder- too. I mean, I think the pandemic is probably
0: going to be a great, um, a great one for the scientists. I think when you know not every scientist will have predicted everything perfectly and prescribed everything perfectly but i suspect when we come through this pandemic the scientists will get a pretty good write up in terms of um being the superheroes being the people in white coats Whether, well, they, yeah, they
2: it, might, it might from those who are who are who have faith in science but i think we have a great deal of evidence that people don't, that many people don't have faith in science, and that has uh, has well, emerged exactly but, from the pandemic.
0: I get that there are anti vackers and there were people who were, you know, lockdown deniers, etc., etc., etc. But I do think that probably science will get a reasonable write-up in in the lay mind. Politics. You know, some people's politics will, you know, will have delivered better than others when we look, when we finally get through this and can actually analyse um, who did better, who did less well and crucially how we pull together. I mean, I'm sitting in London right now. Um, I've had my first vaccination and we have colleagues on this call elsewhere in the world who possibly haven't had their vaccination. And there are countries in the world where the pictures are horrific and we haven't yet as a world order, you know, done enough to to share technology and vaccination and suspend patents in the way that we should in an interconnected world.
4: I wish you were right, Shami, and and I uh, we of course on on, on on the same wave on 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 many things, and I wish you were right also in 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 saying that uh, uh, science would come up good. After all, I mean the vaccine was produced, and millions of lives probably going to be saved by the vaccine. But this discussion it's uh, somehow started off by saying that there was a time in which faith in uh, meaning religious faith mm-hmm. was central, and sort of the, the central point of civilization was uh, w- was religion, and then. Perhaps Perhaps there was a science in which at least a part, there was a period in which perhaps a part of uh, humankind thought that science had a central role in our vision of the world. Uh, I am a scientist, but I don't think that. And I think that politics is much more central than science, precisely because science is not about certainties. It's about debating and fighting what is our Best way. So science is deeply political in that sense, not because it's false in any sense. It's because it's, a, it's extraordinarily effective and and, and, and and good, but it's based on our, as you said, our capacity of getting out from certainty and and having doubt. Now you were talking about vaccines, but and and the current and the effect on the current polarization. But the world is not the few countries where this polarization is so strong. The world is much larger. What I'm seeing today uh Friends in the in some some states of the United States are telling me that there's a surplus of vaccines. They've been mm-hmm. sending back vaccines because so they don't know what to do with extra vaccines. Okay, I'm vaccinated. A uh, majority of people, I think, in the in the UK is vaccinated. There are people who are dying mm-hmm. like flies in, in 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 India and Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many countries in which uh, vaccination hasn't even started. So mm-hmm. yes, scientists have been good. Perhaps I don't know, but I think the big question of the world in how science and, and, and politics and all of us will be judged, it's going to be... Uh, what I see is brutality. I don't see uh, we kind people, oh, if you don't vaccinate the other, it will come back to us. If you think for a moment, I'm sure you agree with me, that's horrendously selfish, isn't it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. absolutely. But I I, if I may, Carlo, I, I because because the question that that I'm, I I'd like to return to is... In a post-truth age, there are many questions around vaccine distribution and fairness and and sharing, and I absolutely get that. But there are also people who simply no longer trust science um, and who no longer trust politicians about what what they say, either about science or about politics. So, so George, I wonder whether you, how dangerous you think this is for society in this, you know, what's often called the post-truth age. Is this a, a really dangerous moment in your view? This well, yes, pattern?
3: indeed, indeed it is. Um, the, the thing is that science is not groundless; it's, it's it's grounded in evidence. Now, part of the problem is 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 that there are probabilities in science. And, and the, the vaccines is one case, but global warming is another. And there's a great deal of debate about those models. And what one has to do is to convey to the public, as far as possible, what is very solidly grounded in science and what is to some extent debatable in science. And that, that's where problems come. But I think people Brought up in a, um, a literary or social science tradition, they've never had the experience in a laboratory of mm. testing nature and finding out this is the nature way that nature works, which which is what scientists do. Uh, and this is it's it's a distrust. It's it's a worldview which underlies the, the, this this problem. And and the worldview distrusts the scientific method as a whole. Uh, and that is a disaster because it does make a real difference to our futures. It it makes yeah. a real difference to our futures, um, b- both in the case of the vaccines and in the case of global warming. So, I And think do you
2: think that has arisen because we have been invited in the past to trust science in the sense of trusting what was claimed as fact rather than trusting scientific method, which is perhaps what we should be putting our faith in? The, the,
3: the, the problem is that it's... it's um, it's, it's turned into a, a a thing a media thing and and it's a question of who can shout lives and who as as Sharma was saying it's 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 an emotional thing who who can mobilize the emotions on behalf of that and the trouble is that science commentators science replicators are not used to mobilizing emotions that's they they don't see that as their job at a certain level that's not their job and so the the, the problem is that scientists are sitting here saying here yeah, this is is the rational thing, this is what the evidence is, and the other people are, are saying, are stirring up emotions, and the emotions trump the, 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 the rationality. I don't think there's any question about that. Philip, you've argued that, that there's
2: very little that we can really claim as provable fact, but doesn't this lead to everything being contested in ways that we now see as quite dangerous, both in politics and science? You know, we get culture wars as a substitute for politics, radically different interpretations of events. We get a U.S. president who who habitually lies because facts don't matter. Surely undermining kind of faith in observable reality leads in the end to
5: these rather difficult circumstances. Because I think I would say once one commits to starting points to foundations, then I think what you do with it then can be correct or incorrect. And I think there was an agreement on this panel about the, the importance of respecting the objectivity of the scientific method. And, and also the the kind of conceptual rigor that philosophers, including moral philosophers, bring, which is which is somewhat also neglected by the community. But I mean, to return to the point of disagreement, I, I was a bit unpersuaded by Carlo's critique of Descartes, which was seemed to be that he came out of his ideas came out of a cultural context. Well, of course, you could say the same about science. I mean, everything comes out of a cultural context, but I would say that within that cultural context, Descartes discovered certain crucial truths about the the human epistemological situation such as for example that the mind is better known than the body or the external world but I, I wasn't saying so I think in some sense these foundations are unprovable and we have to just have an act of faith but I, I mean I wasn't saying this is something we need to worry about I, I think it's perfectly rational to trust our senses why is why am I focusing on this because I think we need to take science very seriously but there are other things we know about reality that aren't empirically demonstrable. I think our our moral experiences reveal to us objective facts about reality, such as that human trafficking is abhorrent. I think that is a fact about reality is as hard as the facts of physics. And so when we're constructing our worldview, we need to take into account not just what the scientists are telling us, but also the facts about value, the facts about consciousness, the facts about eternal objects of mathematics and logic. So I think we've forgotten the importance of the role of philosophy, which in my job is is the role of synthesis, taking what we know uh, from natural science, but things we know to be real, in other ways. And I think the problem is we're we're in a period of history where people think if there's something you believe in that can't be empirically demonstrated, you're a sort of idiot. And we le- we're led to a somewhat impoverished view of the world in which we take ourselves to live in this uh, valueless universe. And I think this is part of the very somewhat messed up situation we're living in today. So it's important to take science seriously is a big problem there. But other kinds of ways of knowing about reality also need to be taken very seriously, I think
2: but i want to move on to my third big question really which is about wider society can we replicate this measure of agreement in the wider society in this what we've all agreed is an extremely fractured age will we ever find beliefs that we as a society can all agree on uh, again carlo you've been contesting some propositions that have been put to you today can you see uh, can you see us as a society finding better common ground than we have now? Um, I hope not.
4: If, uh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I hope not if, well, there was an if. <laughs> If uh, uh, the question is, can we uh, find shared beliefs that agree on all the basics? Uh, because that would be an impoverishment of the richness of the diversity of ideas, uh, which is nourishing us and which has produced the richness of our understanding of ourselves, of the world, the richness of the cultures, the richness of what we are. So the variety of point of view, it's not a problem. It's a fantastic richness and opportunity, uh, which I welcome strongly. Something else is, uh, um, do we hope to find common ground in the sense of living together better? And once again, I think this is more important. I think that politics is more important than science. Deeply, I I, I think so. And uh, to put it short, uh, I hear some world leaders who are talking about, uh, without second guessing anybody, just listening to what people say, I hear some world leaders who are talking about uh, sharing the problem addressing the problem together who are talking about uh, uh, listening to one another who are talking to finding common ground we're talking to 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 find the common problems and uh, attacking and, and and attacking this problem together collaborating in our differences and i admire these world leaders i hear other world leaders who talk about oh my god the other are becoming stronger than us we should become we should remain stronger our Soldiers must be everywhere in the world because we have to control everybody, because we are the only one who are trustable. We are the only one who have a superior civilization. And I think this certainty about themselves is dangerous and is taking humankind toward a catastrophe if it is not tuned down and checked by the point is very simple. I mean, if we collaborate, we, we work better at the level, of the global level. If we think of the our relation only in terms of competition, or most in terms mm-hmm. of competition, we're just doing disasters to the planet and to ourselves.
2: Tell me if we were to find a shared belief for society, what, what might it be, do you think? Well, it would be it wouldn't be um
0: it would be a shared framework of values in the way that we I guess in the way that we did for a moment in 1945 and
4: 1950,
0: in the the post-war birth of human rights, that's right. Was, was, I think, such a moment. Now, of course, critics can scoff at me and say, yes, but then we went straight into the Cold War, etc., etc. And yes, yes, of course, all of that is true. But I, I still think we can look to that post-war moment where people, you know, of left and right and every world religion and the secular, all these people came together having looked at that World War II experience. And what did they give us? They gave us the Refugee Convention. They gave us the Universal Declaration um, on, on on human rights and, and so on. They try to, to begin discussion about non-proliferation and so on. And we need that kind of level. Now, of course, that's just a very, very open textured, broad framework. And people are going to argue about the application of those principles and values, just as they will in science. But it was a very good start. And one of the things that worries me the most about this moment is that even those values like an equality of dignity for all human beings is being uh, those sorts of values are being are being challenged that's the problem with trump etc Not that they disagree with me about tax and spend and how much the state should do and how much business should do. That's not my problem with them. I have many friends who are to the right of the centre. That's not the issue. The issue is when you don't believe in the rule of law. You don't believe um, in equal treatment for all human beings. And just to just to defend myself, um, Carla, I wasn't suggesting that um, the only argument for the only argument for vaccinating the planet is that is the self-interest. Course. Course. No, no no. Of course there is a, just a human decency argument that everybody has the right to, to life that I have, but there's also the interconnectedness of humanity, and that is what the drafters of the Universal Declaration understood. They believed in human rights not just as a moral right, but as a way to, to rub along together and therefore to stop us having inter- eternal wars.
2: George, um, if we were to um, seek. Uh, agreement in the way that we used to agree I guess on religion although not every society had the same one do you think we can find it again somehow
3: over something Um, I I think that there's two very important divides, and Carlo pointed to this. There's ideas, and I, I agree with Philip Goff, for instance, about mathematical Platonism and moral Platonism. I think that those are true. I think they're very important. I think the chances that we will get agreement on them is fairly slim, but I think they're very important. But then there's the political issues which we've been discussing, and those are crucially important. And the question is, will we ever... Um, be able to sort it out. And I think what we must mention, everything which, which Shami was saying was correct, it involves the emotional power of stories that take people's lives together with purposeful disinformation campaigns, but crucially, it depends on the power of social media and the way that the algorithms in social media function to encourage isolated packets of belief. And um, the, the way that social media is funded is, is underlying a lot mm-hmm. of what Shami was talking about. And I I don't think there's any chance that we will get society to agree in in political terms. These big issues, and for instance, in America at the moment, basically, the Republican Party is is, is going back to saying that all people are not equal. That's a central Mm -hmm. theme what's happening. And it's driven by the social media uh, and it's driven by uh, the way that social media allows huge numbers of people in society to, to believe lies because that's all that they are told and they're reinforced by the algorithms. And I think that it's crucially important that legislation be put in place to control social media, to prevent the power of social media to divide society in that way by telling lies. Obviously, uh, this is a very delicate kind of issue, but nevertheless, uh, it's something which has been taking place to to some extent where Facebook and and Twitter have been banning certain people to try to prevent the kind of thing that Chami's talking about taking place. I don't think we will get beliefs that society agrees on at, at any kind of level until we tackle that issue of the social media.
5: Um, I think we're going through a very strange period of history where people have been so blown away by the success of natural science that that leads people to think, that's it, that's the truth. You know, that's the whole truth. And anything... Belief in anything that can't be demonstrated in that way is sort of ridiculous. Whereas, as I said, I think there are things we know about that that aren't empirically known. The reality of feelings and experiences are not known from experiments and observation, but just through our immediate awareness of our our experiences. All the objects of mathematics, numbers, functions, sets are known about through mathematical intuition, not through experiments. So if as a society, I think we can move beyond this scientism and return to that grand project of trying to bring together what we know from science, but what we know in other ways, and take that seriously as a a society. I don't think people know what philosophy is. I think maybe, maybe we could achieve consensus on that. Who knows? If we don't try, we'll never know. The political point, I think it's very important to protect respected sources of truth. The Institute of Economic Affairs uh, you know, to sources, choose for money. The Institute of Economic Affairs do not declare their funders and yet are taken seriously as a so-called think tank or on the BBC as impartial experts. We don't know who's funding them. We don't know who's paying the wiper. Because of this kind of thing, I think it's been wiped from the collective consciousness. Coming back to Shami talking about 1945, that for 30 years after the war, we had taxes in the UK and the US of 80, 90 percent. And it worked. It made US and Western Europe more equal, more prosperous. This was the golden age of capitalism. 40 years since then, which is my lifetime, we've had Wild West capitalism. It's caused, you know, crisis after crisis, massive inequality in the last 10 years of hell. I mean, I, 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 lots of people I hear, you know, interesting. what is going on? What's all this craziness? I think future historians will look back and it will be obvious. It will be the, the 40 years experiment with Wild West capitalism. And I think we, you know, we need the objectivity of taking respected sources of truth out of money so that we can see that reality of the last 70 years, those two periods, one which went well, one which went badly, and we can learn the lessons.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy for Our Times. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe on your platform of choice and visit iai.tv for hundreds more podcasts, videos, and articles from the world's leading thinkers.